Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. Get ready for your life to be changed by today's message. Father, I pray your blessing upon this congregation this morning. I go out in the Spirit in the name of Jesus. And we take authority. In the mighty name of Jesus. And I declare that liberty is going to creep into your life this morning in areas where you've not allowed it to be in before. I declare in Jesus' name all that's happened this morning has been preparing the environment for your freedom. You can take your seats. Thank you so much for the honor of coming here to Abundant Life Church. Thank you, Apostle. Thank you to all the pastors. Pastor Jason, I love you. I love you all. And it's an honor to be here. I had never dreamt that I would be in places like America when I lived on the streets of London begging for a living, sticking needles into my veins, overdosing over 20 times. Been in mental institutions 10 times, knowing what it's like to be in a padded cell, told that there was no hope for me. But yet I had a father and a mother who were praying, who believed that there was another dimension that could touch my life. And my father in particular, before he went home to be with the Lord, he would pray every night for a miracle to happen to his first son. And here I am today. And I give God all the glory and all the honor. I was in Scotland. I had three rehabilitation centers in Scotland a few years ago. And a lady came to see me. Her name was Kathleen. And Kathleen came to me and she said, she said, John, she said, would you come down to my family? My husband and I are drug dealers. And they were, they were some of the major drug dealers in that town that we lived in. Would you come down and work with my family? Would you help me? I've just discovered that my children are stealing heroin from us and they're smoking it even before they go to school. One of the kids was only 10. I said, I'll come down. And I came down that afternoon and uh, there was cameras outside the house that were looking up and down for police and there was, the front door was barricaded uh, with a big steel shutter on it. And um, they lived in, there was a fighting dog in the house. There was... Um, when I went into the house, there were swords on the wall and they weren't just there for decorative purposes. And I went into the house, the Kathleen let me in. The, the, the husband was upstairs and I began to talk to Kathleen and the four children. I began to share my testimony. What I was doing was I was confronting their culture. And I'm confronting your culture, not the American culture. I'm confronting your personal culture here this morning. I went into that house to confront, confront the culture of drug dealers. They're just human beings. We don't allow the voice of reputation of them slashing and hurting people. We don't allow the voice of that to intimidate us, to stop us from confronting the culture. I went in and I was talking to the family 
confronting the crowd, praying. I prayed before I went in. And I, next thing I heard, the father coming down the stairs, shouting at the top of his voice, I'm going to kill you, John Edwards. I'm going to kill you. I've heard about what you do in the town. You are not going to come into my house. You are not going to come into my family. And he was coming down and he, this guy had a reputation for slashing people, for beating people up really badly. And he was much bigger than me. I'm only a little guy. But I know how to handle myself. And they came down the stairs, right? Charging at me. I have to admit, I was frightened. But you cannot show your fear in a situation like that. Because we've not been given a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and love and a sound mind. And I knew that verse off by heart, but I knew it. It was in my skin. I knew it. I knew it in action. I had been to Psalm 34, verse 4, where King David called out unto the Lord and he delivered him from all of his fears. And I stood my ground as he charged towards me and the kids were screaming, John, uh, Daddy, please don't hit John. Don't hit him. And he came for me and I stood my ground and his name was Willie. I said, Willie, Willie Gilmore was the name. Willie Gilmore, I said, I'm not frightened of you. I'm here to confront you and the culture of this house because God's got a plan for you. And he ran up towards me, ready to hit me. And as he got about three feet away from me, he hit something that's not normal. He hit a wall and he fell on the ground right in front of me. And he broke down in tears. The power of the Holy Ghost came into that house. Willie got saved. The mother got saved. And all the four children got saved. Glory to God. Hallelujah. I confront your culture here this morning. Whatever yours is in your house. And I do it in the name of Jesus. I was in another housing estate just a couple of years back. And I, ha I own the world's biggest syringe. It's 33 feet long, six foot in diameter. My syringe even has a bedroom in it. And written on the side is injecting hope into society instead of injecting dope into society. And written on the side is there is no such thing as a hopeless case. And I brought it into this housing estate where it was full of drug dealers, etc. I love going in these places. This boldness comes upon me that I'm just not afraid. It's probably dangerous for normal folk to win here, but I ain't normal. <laughs> Amen. I've never been normal. I've no intention of being normal anytime soon either. And I went into this neighborhood. 26 people gave their hearts to Jesus in that neighborhood that day. But there was one house that nobody came out of. I knocked on the door because one of the neighbors said, there's a drug addict living in there. And this girl came out. Her name was Kelly. Cut a long story short, I led her to Christ. And her friend as well who was in the house, she, they both gave their hearts to the Lord. And a journey started for her to change the culture she was living in. Her child was blind. He couldn't walk and he had a tube going up his nose and he had a tube going into his tummy to feed him. And next Sunday, I brought her to church with the child. She was told the child would never see, would never walk. He would never be able to eat normally. We dedicated that child to the Lord the next Sunday in the local church. Over the next six month period, that child began to see he began to walk and he took the tube out of his stomach. He now walks. 
and he eats normally because we went in and we confronted the culture in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. But we began to work with this girl, Kelly. We took her into her home. My wife, Tricia, I'll bring Tricia over here one day. My wife, Tricia, she's lovely. And we took her in. We detoxed her off all her heroin. She was on seven different drugs, five of them from the government and two illegal substances. We detoxed her off all of these things, put her into rehab. She came back out again uh, after 12 months in Teen Challenge. She came back out again and we worked with her. Recently, and I'd discipled her and trained her, getting her ready. I said, stay single for a couple of years when you finish. Walk consistently with God before you get a partner. And I wonder the type of people to stay away from. But sometimes people don't listen. And she met the wrong guy. She's now, as I speak, back on heroin. I spoke with her on the phone last night from the hotel down the road. And I've got a plan in place for her. Can you turn to Genesis chapter 1 for a moment for me, please? The reason Kelly fell is she got this guy in. He was abusive. He used to wipe the makeup off her face because he didn't want her to look attractive to anybody else. He would hit her. But when I met Kelly originally, that's, that's the guy she's going out with now. When I met her originally, she was going out with a guy who used to make her stand in the corner with her face facing the wall. And if she spoke, he would hit her or punch her or kick her. That's the environment she was living in. That's the culture she was living in. And she thought that was acceptable. She didn't know any other kind of love. Brought up in the care system, a foster child. And we understand that because my wife and I, we fostered, we have two foster children at the moment. And we, we, um, we took Kelly out of that. The guy wasn't too happy. I might be a Christian, but we sorted that guy out. And he never touched Kelly again. Amen. We've got to be men in the 21st century. We've got to be men who are not afraid to go in and confront the culture. We've got to be able to show the right arm of strength if necessary. And put these people where they need to be. So I got a few of the boys. And we paid the house a visit. He's now elsewhere. Genesis chapter 1. I want to take you just for a short while to fit in a, a lot of teaching. In, I'm going to teach you this morning rather than just preach to you. Amen. And uh, Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning God created. In the beginning God prepared, formed and fashioned and created the heavens and the earth. I'm reading from the Amplified. The earth was without form and an empty waste, and darkness was upon the face of the very great deep. But the Spirit of God was moving, hovering and brooding above the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. Just give me your attention for a moment. Here is, in the book of Genesis, you have a law called the law of first mention. Here in these few verses, you have the first mention of several things. You have the first mention of darkness. And if you look up that word, what it actually means is it means chaos. There was chaos. There was no order upon the earth. When I worked with Kelly and I worked with Willie and I worked with hundreds of people now over the last 30 odd years, 
the first thing I've got to do when I begin to disciple them is put order into their life. Amen. The Spirit of God is hovering. The first mention of the Spirit of God. And we know here the Spirit of God is hovering over darkness. Here is a precedent being set that you need to take a snapshot of in your mind. That when you say, see chaos or darkness in a neighborhood or in a family or an individual, you know that the Spirit of God is hovering over it. Take that snapshot in your mind. But that does no good unless somebody declares the thing. God declared, let there be light. That word light, if you look it up, it means order. So God, the first miracle he did was brought order into chaos. Confronted the culture of chaos and brought order into it. And God saw that it was good. It was established. Let me tell you something. In the world of the moment, the world is trying to declare darkness into light. You hear in schools, the, the teaching, the doctrines of demons in schools. Over here and in Ireland and in England where I live and all over the world, doctrines of darkness have been declared. It says in Job 22 verse 28, if you declare a thing, it will be established and God will shine a light in your path. But what about if the darkness declares? Darkness sheds its evil pathway over the world. But the Christians should be standing up and confronting the culture. The darkness is almost established in the world. It's almost time for the Antichrist to come to the kingdom he's, he's declared for a long time. And the church through political correctness and the church through fear has stopped declaring to a lot, not, not here, but in many places it stopped declaring the truth. And ministers have compromised, particularly over the last two years. They've been chicken to stand up and call things what they really are. That's why when everybody else locked down, I got my prison cell and I hit the road. We led 3,000 people to Christ when we hit the road. Now let me tell you something. There was a new anointing upon us because there was a new darkness manifesting. And when we stepped out into this new manifestation of darkness, the light that was upon us was even stronger. And even when the police stopped me and tried to stop me, they laughed at my cheek having a prison cell saying, what are you going to do to me? Lock me up somewhere? I got my own personal prison cell behind me. And they could see the funny side of me said, and they said, Mr. They said, they said, we wish there was more people like you. And I wish the church had more people who would stand up in this day and age to confront the culture. So here we have a principle. Are you declaring into the darkness that's trying to invade your life? Or even the darkness that's invaded your life from the past? Are you declaring light into it? You see, Kelly thought it was acceptable to allow this guy into her life just recently. Because at least he was better than the guy that she had from the past who made her face the corner. But her reference was her understanding. At least he's not that bad. Instead of the reference being the word of God. She never declared the word. She declared that she, what she thought was acceptable. And when I spoke light into her life, she resisted it. James 4, 7 says, if you submit to God and resist the enemy, he flee from you. So the enemy has fleed from Kelly to the degree that she's submitted to the word of God in her life. 
I cannot bring deliverance to Kelly if she continues to lean upon her own understanding and allow the enemy to have a foothold in her life. The principles found in Ephesians 4.26, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down your anger. Now I'll give the devil a foothold. Let's look at Genesis chapter 3 real quickly. Now the serpent was more subtle and crafty than any living creature of the field which the Lord God had made. And Satan said to the woman, he, Satan said to the woman, can it really be that God has said you shall not eat from every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, you may eat the, you may eat the fruit from the trees of the garden. Sorry. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the fruit from the trees of the garden, except the fruit from the tree which is in the middle of the garden. For God has said, God has declared, you shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, said, you shall not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing the difference between good and evil and, and blessing and calamity. And when the woman saw that the tree was good, suitable and pleasant for food, and that it was delightful to look at, and a tree to be desired in order to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she gave some also to her husband, and he ate. Kelly's in trouble at the moment. She's giving mental assent to the attraction she sees in this guy. Me personally... I don't even think he's good looking. <laughs> All right? And I'm tempted to make him even worse looking. When I look at him, I'm thinking, what do you see in him? But that's my thinking. Her thinking, she obviously sees something in him. And I understand that. So I got to take her on a journey. But she's living in the consequence of a decision that she's made. And I, I cannot change the consequence through prayer if she voluntarily yields to the desire that she has inside for reward through a guy like that. Willie, who I just talked about, remained clean for 20-something years. That was a long time ago. I worked with him. He, he bought two houses, was successful. But one day something happened in his life and somebody offered him heroin. And he took it, and I heard about it, and I was living in England, and I drove to Scotland to find him again, and I confronted, I found him, his wife had to put him out, and he was in a little flat, an apartment, and I went in, I pushed the door open, I went in, and I confronted his culture again, and I said, Willie, I said, God has told me, if you don't stop what you're doing, that you'll be dead soon. And I've driven from England to Scotland to warn you. I'm confronting your culture. I said, give me those pills. And I took them off him. And I filmed it. It's on my phone. I said, give me those pills. And I flushed them down the toilet. I said, you need to repent. You need to change your way of thinking. Otherwise, you're going to be dead. And he repented and he gave his life back to Jesus. But I left the house and I warned him. I said, don't let anybody... Come in and convince you to go back in them again. 72 hours later, he was dead. I went up and I warned him. And the word in my heart this morning is, I'm confronting you. No, I'm not going to tell you someone's going to die. I'm not going to say that. Relax. But I'm confronting your darkness. And I put it to you 
that if you continue to think the way you are, after you've been discipled, after people have told you, after all the teaching that you've had in here, you will continue. It's a dark prophecy. You will continue to live in the consequences of your wrong choices until you fall on your face before God Almighty and say, I repent, Lord God. I'm deciding this morning to lift my hands and surrender to you and to do things your way. I've had to bury a number of people over the last 32 years that I've been in ministry. And it's always the same thing. They resisted God. They submitted to the devil. And they fell. Eve here in Genesis 3, she debated with darkness. She debated with the enemy. Are you debating with the enemy? She debated with darkness. And the enemy talked to her and he said, he said, look at that tree. It's good for fruit. It's good for wisdom. It'll make you wise. It's nice to taste. What was going on here? I had to research this. There's so many people falling back because I work with a lot of gangsters and drug dealers and addicts and prostitutes and people like that. That's, you know, that we, my wife and I have been detoxing them for over, near, over 25 years in our house. And so many people fell back and I wanted to know what's going on in their mind. So I did some research and I'm going to quickly tell you what, what I learned. What I learned was this. In my mind, if you look at the side of my head, my brain is in there. In the front part of my brain, it's called the prefrontal cortex. That's the place where we make decisions, negative and positive decisions. Bring a child up in the ways of God. And when he is older, he will continue to walk in it or he'll return to it. The Bible tells us there's a warfare on 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3 to 7. He tells us that the warfare we're in is not, it's not in the natural, it's not in the flesh. And it's, it's mighty through God to the tearing down of strongholds. What's a stronghold? A stronghold is a group of thoughts that develops a pattern of thinking that results in you having an opinion or an attitude about the way you want to live. And it's a stronghold that you have. And today I confront your culture. Today I confront your, your stronghold. You wonder why bad things are happening to you. It's nobody's fault but yours. You say the enemy is attacking me. Well, the Bible says if you submit to God and resist the devil, he'll flee from you. If he's not fled from you, it's a reason for it. You're still submitting to darkness and resisting the light. And this is, the, this is what I find happening over all these years. And I've buried dozens of people over the years, especially through lockdown. I've done more funerals than ever. So my brain, so the prefrontal cortex is in the front of my brain. So when God said to Eve in chapter 2 of Genesis, he said, you can eat from any tree, but don't eat from that tree. He was appealing to the prefrontal cortex. Do you understand? I want your decision-making facility to align with the, with the direction that I'm giving you. Do not eat from that tree. Who's ever walked past a sign that said wet paint and you just couldn't resist the temptation? And who, who, who's done that? Okay, this is what's going on. So Satan appears in the form of a serpent and begins to talk to her. And he said, did God really say? Did God really say? So now there's a question in her mind. That's what he does. He wants to doubt that blessings will come from God word, God's word. 
And he wants us to real to he wants us to believe there's another way of getting reward. What Satan was doing was he was appealing to the reward system in the brain, which is just behind the prefrontal cortex. It's called the limbic system. Now the limbic system, Satan was appealing to. He said, Eve, he said, he said, look at the tree. So she looked and she saw with her eyes. Just behind your eyes, there's a thing called the nucleus accumbens. It's the beginning of the reward system or the motivational system in the brain. Some of it is automatic. When your body needs water, it'll tell you, drink water. I don't particularly like the taste of water, but I drink it every day because the, my, my nucleus accumbens reminds me, if you don't drink it, you're going to get a headache at least. So I'm motivated to the reward system to do good things. But the enemy can appeal to the reward system. Look at the tree, he said. If you partake of it, you'll be like God. Oh, the pride of life, I'll be like God. It's good for food, lust of the flesh. It's great for wisdom. He appealed to the pride of life, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes. The same thing that every addict or gangster that is, is, is taken in by. And every other human being on top of that. So we have here this situation. So the limbic system has the nucleus accumbens. This sends a signal back to a device that holds the neurotransmitters in the brain. You've heard of these. Dopamine, serotonin, endorphins, the reward chemicals that God graciously gave us to be used for serving him. But now Satan was appealing to these same things. And he was saying, by your senses, look at the tree. Kelly looked at the guy. And the enemy's working with her. He'd be good for whatever. I think he's good for nothing. But she felt he's, he's, ha he, he's handsome. She thought in her deceived mind. He's handsome. He's, he's, got, he's got some money. Etc. etc. Whatever she thought, it appealed to one of those areas. The lust of the flesh, maybe. The lust of the eyes, maybe. Or the pride of life. Maybe I'd be like other women if I have a man by my side. I look normal just like other couples. And Kelly partook of it and she fell the so, same way Eve did. They partook to the reward system in the brain. The trouble with it is, there's something in the brain called the hippocampus. It's your midbrain memory. The midbrain memory logs pleasure in it. The first time I took a Valium when I was 12 years of age, a drug, a tranquilizer, it helped me. I used, to have a st I used to have a terrible stutter. When I took Valium, I didn't stammer so much. I was very shy, but with a Valium, I was a bit more confident. I was able to chat the girls up a bit better when I had a Valium in me. Then I discovered if I had a drink with that, I was even more confident. I could go for the prettier girls. You know, there was a little blondie one who lived down the road. Sylvia was her name. You know, and with the help of Valium and booze, Sylvia became my girlfriend. When I read in the Bible that you meant to go back to your first love again, I thought, no, there's no way I'm going back to Sylvia again. <laughs> but this is the law that works. The hippocampus, 20, 25 years ago, I was in ministry. We had revival in our church. I had 11 homes with addicts living in them that I was working with. I'd just written a couple of books. People were visiting me from Scotland from England and Wales and from Ireland, asking me how I had revival in my church. I had a genuine revival. 
Our church grew exponentially. Miracles were happening. It was incredible what was going on. People wanted to know why. But privately, I was struggling. I wasn't managing it very well. I was newly married. And Tricia, my wife, had four children. So I was single for 42 years. Then overnight, there were six of us. That was more traumatic than coming off heroin. Having four kids overnight. <clears throat> so I'm struggling with the pressure of success. I didn't know how to deal with it. And the leadership I had at the time, I couldn't talk with. So the culture I was in, even though I had revival, the revival was happening around me, but the culture I was in, I couldn't share my inmost thoughts. One day I came into the office and one of the guys I was praying with to be detoxed off of tranquilizers, he detoxed early, a miracle happened, and he thought he'd surprise me by leaving the pills in my drawer. I come in one day and I opened the drawer and there was these bottle of pills. The hippocampus, my midbrain memory reminded me, do you remember the reward that these used to give you back in the day, John? And I'd been clean for 10 years at this time. Do you remember the reward, John? And of course the debate starts, I just take one, just to take the pressure off me. I'm not backsliding, I just take one. Within a week, I'd nearly lost everything. The enemy prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking who he may devour. This is the reality of what's happening in your life, in your mind. Can you identify areas in your life where the devil is tempting you through your senses? That's where eating disorders come from. The pride of life, wanting to look amazing. Wanting to look like a, a fashion queen. That's where drug addiction comes from. Just take this substance. I just, just get involved in this, this behavioral addiction and you get to cut yourself. It'll make you feel better. Somebody told you it releases pain. No, it doesn't. All of these things will be going on with you. Suicidal thoughts then come in on the back of this. And by the way, God told me last night that some of you in this church are having visitations at nighttime. Demonic visitations. Some of you are getting pushed down in your beds at night. And you can't even say the name of Jesus. Who are you? Who's, who's having that in here? I want you to come and see me afterwards. It stops today. Amen. Stops today. It stops today. So these principles are going on in your mind. And if you, you need to understand, Paul said, he said, I know how the enemy works. I know the schemes of the enemy. And I'm sharing with you today, he's appealing to you through your senses. He's appealing to you for a feel-good factor that you compromise. And then if you do that, you will live in the consequences of your decisions. Amen. Amen. If you don't take authority in your life, if you don't move and take authority in your life, you will live in the consequence and maybe like Willie or maybe like Kelly. If Kelly submits to what I'm saying, Kelly wants to go to a rehab and she's trying to arrange a rehabilitation center for the guy. And the two of them go and pick up at the end of rehab. They ain't, she doesn't need rehab, she needs repentance. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was delightful to look at and the tree to be desired in order to make one wise and insightful, she took some of its fruit and ate it and she also gave some to her husband. We like company in the darkness that we give permission to, to live in our life. My friends, it's a time 
to realize what's going on in your mind. And I could teach on this stuff all day long. But there comes a moment where you have to say, I'm going to repent and I'm going to change from the way I'm living. And I'm going to turn my life around. I'm going to give it to Jesus like I've never given my life to Jesus before. I'm going to resist this darkness. I'm going to confront the culture in my personal life. And I'm going to walk in freedom from this day forward. Amen. Amen. This pattern that works in our mind, it'll stay with you for the rest of your life if you don't offer yourself as a living sacrifice unto God. This is your true act of worship. And stop conforming to the ways of the world. And you will begin to allow God to change you from within to a complete change of mind. Then you will walk in the good and the pleasing and the perfect will of God. Then you will find darkness letting you go and light leading you for all the days of your life. Then you can truly declare a thing and it will be established and God will shine a light on your path. Your culture was challenged this morning with finances as well. If you resist the culture of the kingdom of God and you wonder why you're not being blessed, well, you know now. You're living in resistance to the fullness of what God has for you. So my friends, before I pray with you, you need to do something this morning. You need to admit your powerlessness to win this over on your own. The 12 steps of recovery. The first step is you admit you're an addict or an alcoholic. You gotta admit you have an issue. You're allowing pleasure into your life. That's not from God. It's a compromised pleasure. You need to admit it. And then we need to call out to God. Romans 7 says from verse 14 onwards, Paul says, the very thing I want to do, I find myself unable to do. But that which I, I don't want to do, he said, that I do. And he said, I find this Lord work within my body. When I want to do good, I find evil right there with me. The good thing I want to do, I cannot do. The, the bad thing I don't want to do, that I do. And then he calls out to God and said, who rescued me from this body of death? And he remembers, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ because I've been set free from the law of sin and death to the spirit of life that's in Christ Jesus. And I declare the spirit of life is hovering over you here this morning. There's darkness in some of your life and the spirit of God is hovering. And I declare into your life, let there be light this morning. We pray you were blessed by today's message. For more content and to get to know us better, download our app at AbundantLifeChurch.com.